Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave AC and the Sixth Doctor. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Colton Collective Podcast. Sans, Ian the Sixth Doctor, although he may make the show uh, later on. He's, uh, don't feel too sad for him because the guy is uh, in Orlando with his family and I'm just going to put a little twit pic- picture that he posted link up there in the room so you can see he's happy as Larry there with his glass of uh, Californian Merlot and uh, as I say, hopefully if he gets permission from the boss, he may pop in at some time. But uh, let's find out who is in the room. And on my page, uh, welcome to Mr. Darth Skeptical. Hi, Darth. Hello, Dave. How are you? Good. Always glad to have you here. Uh, great show with you last week, and uh, we want more from you this week. But uh, let's go and see who else is in the room. And we've got Mike Randall-Thor. Hi, Mike. Hello, Dave. Nice to be uh, here. Great. And I'm hoping you're going to be able to keep an eye on text for me today. Uh, Will do. Doing two things at once is not my forte, unless it's uh, the glass of wine at my side. Uh, we've also got uh, Tim. Let me welcome Tim on microphone. Hi, Tim. Tim? See, that's, that's me being good and muting myself for you, Dave. Oh, well done. But, um, back, back, back on my trusty netbook and uh, back home after two two weekend breaks. Right. Well, we'll ask you a, a little bit about one of those breaks shortly. And we've got the Seventh Doctor. Hi. Good morning, Dave. This is Good. the Seventh Doctor from Arizona. How are you Good today? Good Fine. And glad you came back and joined us yet again. Always nice to see uh, new and regular faces. And uh, we're about to uh, go and see who is under the cone. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? And on the portable cone of silence, and just getting in in time, is Willis Girl. 
Cybob, Guest 5, and Guest 8. And again, just popping in as I do that is Merlin. Always glad to have you people in the room. Um, now, we're going to be moving fairly quickly onto our topic. Uh, we've just got one piece of news and one very short uh, report, and they both come from one of our members, Tim. But I better just play the monkey first. Tim. Yes, well, it's a, it's a busy weekend for um, Dot Do fans. I've just got back from Hooverville. Others uh, who were able to get to um, West London today, and apparently they sold out this event. Uh, we're at the Dot Do Appreciation Society's premiere of uh, the uh, Day of the Daleks special edition, which is out on DVD on September the 12th. And uh, they had a surprise guest at this event, uh, a certain Mr. Colin Baker, who we'll all have heard of, of course. And he's been announced as the third life president of the Doctor Appreciation Society. The first one was John Pertwee, and uh, then it was Nick Courtney. And um, as, as, as Sawbones Hex, he tweets. So we might as well read out the couple of tweets he's, uh, or a couple of the tweets he put on this. Uh, he has put, was voted DWAS president today following JP, Mr. Charisma, and the Brig, Mr. Wonderful, greatly honoured and touched. Thanks, D-Was. And then a few minutes after that, he put, Generous folk, the D-Was lot. I interrupted their day of fun at the Riverside to be enprezed. I must now learn how to preside properly. Okay. So, um, and it couldn't couldn't have gone to a more uh, deserving person from the sort of Doctor Who universe of people who've contributed over the years because he's, he's remained a, a big supporter of the show. Good. And, and this uh, event that you've just been to? Oh well, this was the the Hooverville that is a which for which there's been a great expectation in the podcasting community because uh, Steve um, Hatcher, who organises it, is very pro uh, the Doctor Podcasters Alliance and uh, all the stuff we're trying to do and have access to guests at conventions. And so, for the first time, uh, the podcasters were given a room. And I'm sure it will please many people in in the audience that it was a room full of Apple Macintoshes, <laughs> none of which got used all day, but the very fast internet connection did get used by me and uh, various people who follow me on Facebook and Google Plus and Twitter will know that I was um, taking photographs and getting them up, line, up online literally seconds afterwards due to the speed of this internet connection. And so uh, this was a rather different convention for me because normally... If there's a convention and there's a fair few guests I want to see, I'll be in the main hall most of the day. But this time, I was kind of like in and out of the podcaster's room. And so I missed the opening ceremony. I Yeah, I, di I didn't really see much of the first guest on stage, which was an actress called Barbara Shelley, uh, who has not only been in Doctor Who, but she's been in a lot of Hammer Horror movies. Uh, the first guest I caught on stage uh, was Fraser Hines, who was very entertaining. And then, because I was in the podcaster's room, I was part of a team of people actually interviewing Fraser Hines. Uh, there was uh, myself, uh, Luke Harrison, the Minute Book 2 podcast, and Tindog, Michael, who I'll give special credit to, because we didn't know until uh, the day who we would be, who would be coming in the room, and we were kind of like given a list 
at the beginning of the day when we walked in at 10 o'clock and Michael sat down with a, a big notebook and <laughs> like about an hour later he'd done a lot of research and come up with a lot of pertinent questions for people he'd be talking to and he he he, he led that whole thing and it, it did him great credit and he's an absolutely brilliant interviewer. Um, we're going well, to keep it short. Just I only saw a couple of other people yeah. on stage. I saw Ian McNeese. Yeah. He was a naughty man. He swore at the audience, and then only look. Only then did he look up and realise there were children present. <laughs> and then told the same story in the in the in the podcasters' room and swore again. Uh, near near the end of the day, we shut down the podcasters' room, so I was able to get back in the main hall and see. Uh, Nicola Bryant on stage, uh, who uh, has had a problem with her eye recently, and so she showed up with an eye patch on, sort of white, thing in her eye. Yeah, and uh, wearing her sunglasses. Uh, but um, Fuchsia Begonia of the uh, Dirty Hooers podcast, having heard about this on Twitter, um, and uh, Nicola Bryant joking about should she show up dressed as a pirate, uh, Fuchsia Begonia got her a couple of plastic toy cutlasses. And um, an inflatable parrot. I can't remember if it was inflatable. No, no, it actually had feathers on it. It was a proper sort of feather stuffed, not stuffed, but toy parrot. And so um, the, the photo session she did in front of uh, uh, the Hoover's group TARDIS uh, was, was in this kind of um, piratey uh, look. Uh, and she was willing to give all of this back to um, Fuchsia, but um, she said, no, no, let your boys have it. And so her kids have gone home with a ready-made pirate outfit there. Okay, thanks for that. I'm going to stop you there, if I may. Um, I'm sure you'll do something on your Tim's take, but I believe there's going to be possibly a collaboration uh, output. Yeah, there was a lot lot of interviews recorded that day. It was on the whole of success. There was only a few real minor problems. And so it's it's sounding like there'll be a sort of combi- compiled uh, Doctor Who Podcasters Alliance thing with all the interviews in, but um, th- those podcasters that recorded them will no doubt be releasing them as well. Excellent. Okay, thanks for that. We're going to move on swiftly because um, we're going to be followed today by uh, uh, Doctor Who Podshock. That's going to be on Torture ID uh, 23358 at 4pm Eastern Daylight Time followed later by Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi doing about Torchwood at 7pm Eastern Daylight Time and that's on Torchwood ID 110825 but uh, if you want to join this particular podcast this is how you might do it If you enjoy listening why not join the collective and participate yourself or on TalkShoe, call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the Shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. And uh, as we hear that, uh, welcome into the room, Jedi Justice and Logan, that's just joined us. And I just uh, uh, put a clean link in there for Tim's thing, so it's easy to just copy and paste. Okay, well, um, it's 
another Doctor Who episode, the second in the second run of series, or the second half of series six, uh, episode uh, Doctor Who and Night Terrors. And um, we're going to be talking about that. It's going to be all spoilerish. And uh, hopefully we're going to have um, a good room. I'm going to try, and although there's not too many overlaps from last week, try and get those people who went towards the end last time to go first. But while I do that, let me play the very first uh, clip of today's show. George, I won't tell you again. Get into bed. I'm going to be late for work. It's just a little love. How many more times? I don't like it. Well, what do we do with the things we don't like? Put them in in the the cupboard. The thing. You have to do the thing, Mum. Five times? It has to be five times. in bed at least. I'm worried about him. Why is he terrified all the time? He needs help. He's got us. He needs a doctor. Please save me from the monsters. Please save me from the monsters. Haven't done this in a while. Um, done what? What are you doing? Making a house call. And of course, the younger, or Amy, or Amelia, should realise that she had such a house call. And I put in text, I hope Seven Doctors read that. Would you like the honour of leading us off? I am very honored, Dave. Thank you. Um, uh, I had a lot of um, flashbacks to other Doctor Who stories with uh, Night Terrors. Also, uh, as mentioned in chat already, uh, there's also a reference to a Twilight Zone episode um, that has some similar elements to it. Uh, the old Twilight episode. A Twilight Zone episode, It's a Good Life, had two uh, people, a couple, that were that woke up in a strange place and things seemed out of place and not working. And, uh, in some ways, it was very similar. And uh, I had, uh, also had other things that uh, came up in my mind as well, very much like a, a Koi episode, a Doctor episode. Uh, I had the clown reference, which kind of uh, reminded me of The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. Uh, the Dolls song uh, reminded me of the girl in Remembrance of the Daleks uh, when she was singing. Uh, there was also a reference to EastEnders. Is that a Children in Need uh, from 1993 reference? Just a lot of references uh, to past things. Uh, this episode also felt very much like Fear Her, uh, mm. but in a much better way, I thought. Uh, I thought this was a better story uh, than Fear Her. Um, better done, uh, it, more logical um, in the way things worked out. It, it just uh, worked much better. 
than that story did. Um, also, uh, there was uh, the TARDIS appearing at the beginning of the episode, and you saw the image of it in the, in the water. That uh, reminded me of the War Games. And also, uh, from this season already, the series, rather, Curse of the Black Spot, uh, had a similar shot to that. Uh, there was also a reference to the Sonic not working on wood, uh, going back uh, a few seasons uh, to the library episodes. Um, then you had a, a little bit of an obscure reference to Snow White and the Seven Keys to Doomsday, uh, the stage play <laughs> back in the 60s. Um, and just last episode, they had uh, putting the monster Hitler in the cupboard. Uh, kind of strange. I know this story was supposed to be in the first part of the series uh, this time, but uh, they moved it. Oh, kind of odd how this worked out. He had two stories in a row about cupboards and putting monsters in there. And he also had, from the last story, uh, Rory and Amy being miniaturized. So just a lot of references. And uh, also the 11th hour uh, from the last series, uh, series 5, he had the clock, which in the, in the down halls that were showing the 11th hour. Uh, he also had a child that was scared, uh, something in her bedroom in, in the case of the 11th hour. And now you have a little boy that's scared of things in his bedroom. Also, the adults that are uh, taking care of the children in both stories don't think that the uh, monsters are, are real. Uh, you also have, in both stories, a child praying for help and the doctor coming to the rescue. Um, in both stories, you have a man with a, with a dog, the landlord in this case, and his dog, and you also had a giant eyeball. And you also had the girls, uh, twin girls, and in this case, I guess it was supposed to be quintuplets, but three of them had uh, disappeared already. But again, just a lot of references to prior stories, and I, I kind of like those in jokes, if you will, referencing prior stories. I just noticed a lot in the story. You absolutely um, did notice that. Can I just ask you one question there? Uh, what, did, sure. I don't know whether anybody else had the similar thought than I did. When I saw the landlord with his dog, I thought, is that Prisoner Zero? Is it <laughs> Because we had, you know, they had the eye looking through, like we had the eye looking through Amy's wall, and we had this eye in the drawer. And then I'm thinking, we had that in the 11th hour, the man with the dog, who was actually one creature, didn't we? Uh, and I thought, I wonder if this, this. I mean, it was obviously a red herring of, of some sort, that the, this landlord was actually going to be the baddie behind it all, but that he was actually uh, the alien, this um, Prisoner Zero type alien. I had that thought too, Dave. Good. That did cross my mind. A any other standout things? What about the actual, I mean, the, I thought the young boy performed pretty well. Any, any other comments? I mean, You've got plenty of time, but anything else that comes to mind? Um, yeah, I, I think um, some of the dialogue betrayed that this was actually uh, supposed to be showed earlier in the, in the series. Um, for example, the doctor saying it's a good, it's good to be together again in the flash. Uh, I think that was foreshadowing the uh, Ganger stories, and also the trust me line. Um, so it, it did seem a little out of place. Uh, I thought Rory uh, seemed odd in the story. He seemed very uncaring. 
Um, he wanted to just leave and let uh, the, the boy face his monsters on his own, maybe not thinking that there really was a monster. He said something about um, um, some, a junk ad on, on the psychic paper. Uh, Ray just seemed very out of place in this in this story, I thought. Um, also, why I, one logical part of it didn't make sense to me. Uh, why didn't Amy and Rory try to go through the windows when they're on the first level uh, inside the, the dollhouse? I, I didn't quite get that. They, they didn't even go near the windows. Right. Um, they could at least try that. Uh, something I thought was amusing was was the doctor when he picked up that Rubik's cube. I thought, oh, he's going to have that thing solved in two minutes, and he just kind of tosses it away. And uh, um, also, actually, it, w- uh, it would have been poor if he'd done it in two minutes. I think the world record something like thirty-seven seconds. So he'd have had to okay. do it a bit quicker than that. Twenty seconds, then, instead of two minutes. Uh, but, but I thought he would just have it. Yeah, time. Maybe it was just clowning, uh, trying to make the, the father and the boy feel better. I don't know. It just uh-huh. the away. Um, one other thing I thought was strange was um, the final scene. I, I think they did. They added it in to try to flow with the rest of the series. They, they showed the graphic of the doctor's death and his the location of his death on the TARDIS display. I think they were just trying to fit that in so it would seem like the show, the episode flowed with the rest of the series. But why would the Doctor leave it up on the screen? Or was the TARDIS trying to say something or remind the Doctor, hey, you got to take care of this? Uh, it was just kind of odd, I thought. Uh, and what really haunted me the most about that particular scene was the the song that was being played um, and the lyrics talk goes the clock even for the doctor uh, it just kind of made me think oh is this really going to be the end of the doctor and obviously it can't be because they, they've already commissioned another series next year but uh, uh, just haunting it anyway well in, in terms of the the, the uh, date with death, as it were, that it has at Lake Salencio that we found out was that was the name of the lake, and and that was why, of course, the intro I played today had that little uh, rhyme in it. Yes, uh, I, I enjoyed the episode. I, I didn't know what to think of it when I saw the preview last week, um, but I did enjoy it. Uh, not as well as the prior week's episode, the, the Hitler episode, but uh, I gave it a three point five. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Well, uh, because you've come so early, we'll we'll certainly uh, get back to you, I'm sure. But let me play another clip before we go to Mike, and then uh, we'll probably go to Tim after Mike. So here's the second clip. Blooming mess. I'm the only one who gets a monkey around here anymore. Shocking. <laughs> Talk to yourself now, I'll see. I fetch the first sign. Hmm? Oh Lord. Let me mess. I'm the only one who gives a 
And what happened there is I <laughs> I put some text in the uh, thing uh, to say, uh, uh, answer uh, some doctor's uh, thing. And uh, I'd still got my uh, mouse over the uh, the audio, so it just clipped it. But I'll stop it there because we've got lots of clips. And it is just briefly the part of her disappearing into the dustbin bags. Um, so I, I won't bother playing that again. Uh, I, I must make sure I've got my little mouse clicked in the submit a chat message window. There's your lesson for today, members of the Torchview Fold. Okay, uh, Mike, um, will you go next for us, please? Sure. So far with Doctor Who, we've had four scripts from uh, Mark Gaddis, Gaddis, however you pronounce it, uh, Unquiet Dead, Idiot's Lantern, Victory of the Daleks, and here we are with Night Terrors. And of those four, this is my favorite Mark Gaddis script. As has been said by uh, Seventh Doctor and in chat previously, uh, it's sort of a combination. This, this Night Terrors sort of felt like a blend of the Twilight Zone episode, uh, It's a Good Life, and a previous Doctor Who story, Fear Her. Sort of felt like a blend of those two, and um, the thing that this, I liked the story, but the thing with it is that, well, for, first of all, there were a lot of ancillar, ancillary characters who were just sort of there on the on the outside, just weren't really brought into the story that well. Like the, the, the old lady, you just the, the, that clip that you just played, she just sort of felt felt tacked on and to sort of add to the terror. Like she was sucked into the garbage pile and suddenly found herself in, in the in the uh, dollhouse. And even Amy and Rory in this episode felt like extraneous characters. There wasn't that much depth to their characters in this episode. They were just, you know, oh, they're suddenly uh, in the dollhouse and they're exploring and revealing to the audience slowly that uh, what's going on. I thought the old lady, really, the main reason she was there was when the boy's frightened and he hears this terrible thing crawling down the corridor. He thinks it's some, you know, some slide in the legs some monster or whatever and of course it was the old lady with a trolley so uh, that was her main purpose i would have thought yeah pretty much that and after that she was forgotten except for the you know when she was brought in the dollhouse and she had one scene in the dollhouse that i can remember when she was walking down the hallway and beyond that the dolls themselves they were creepy villains i remember reading in press and different material leading up to this episode Gaddis talking about how, you know, there had, how surprised he was that, you know, dolls being as creepy as they are, never really featuring in Doctor Who before. Uh, I think the only instance in Doctor Who that I can ever think of with dolls is in The Mind Robber, where he had the giant clockwork uh, toy soldiers. But beyond that, I can't think of an instance with dolls, and they were rather rather well used. Um, the, the actual... The, the boy and the, the the relationship between the boy and the father that was you know the, the core of the episode and it was rather well done I liked that as the core of the episode and the fact that it was focused on the child uh, on his on his his fears and the relationship between the boy and the father throughout the episode uh, especially after the after the, the child was revealed it was we had the reveal of what the child really was and. It didn't. The fact that the story didn't make him into a villain. It made him. Into, he was still a sympathetic character. I liked that. And but it, it was a good creepy episode. Uh, one of the one of the creepier ones. Is, uh, 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 that's how I'm thinking of it. And uh, another another good script from Mark Gaddis. Uh, that's. And the only other thing that I have to add is that one thing that I've been looking looking through these episodes as we go through these episodes in series six. 
back last year, uh, we had the Doctor Who Brilliant book released, and there was a list of 41 spoilers of things that we're going to see in the series, and they're just vague hints here and there. And we're nine episodes in, and I only have four of those items definitely placed. This episode only Uh added another one definitely placed on that list, and that hint was an ordinary block of flats. And that's the only one that was added. So we've got, uh, what, 35, 36 more items to add to this list, 37 maybe, to add to this list. And we've got four episodes to go, and I've got dogs barking in the background. So I will bring this to a close and say it was a good episode. Good, thanks for that. Yeah, that block of flats, I'm sure I've seen that as uh, used in one of the BBC idents where they have loads of people standing on the thing. Definitely being used before. Uh, I'll play a clip, then we'll go to Tim, and then I'll play another clip, then go to Darth, if we may. And thanks, Willis Girl, for coming on audio. We'll go to you in a short while. So I'll try and play this clip properly this time. Amy? Hmm? Amy? Are you here? Yeah. Here? No! What happened to the lift? We were in a lift, right? Yeah, yeah, we, I remember getting in oh. and then... What? We're dead, aren't we? Hey? The lift fell and we're dead. Tom? We're dead. Again. Oh, shut up. I'll find it where you want. You know, it's obvious what's happened. Yeah? Maybe because it's not obvious to me. Well, the TARDIS has gone funny again. Some time... I did it again. Are you here? Yeah. Here. No. What happened to the lift? We were in a lift. Yeah, yeah. I remember getting in and then... What? We're dead, aren't we? The lift fell and we're dead. We're dead. Again. Shut up. I should find it where you want. It's obvious what's happened. Yeah? Because it's not obvious to me. Well, the TARDIS has gone funny again. Some time slippy thing. You know, the Doctor's back there in East Enders land, and we're stuck here in the past. This is probably 1700 and something. Yay! Favorite year. Yeah. Note to self: Don't try and type in and post something when you're playing the clip. That's exactly what happened twice on the run. Just what I was uh, trying to put in text, Dave. It's the simple solution. Wait till it's finished playing, because none of the clips are too long. No, they are. They're only 40-odd seconds, most of them. Uh, so uh, you're up anyway, Tim, and then I will endeavour to play a clip properly after that. Yes, well, our first sighting of this episode for me was at um, Hooverville, uh, where they they managed to get a room, because uh, it's kind of an art house cinema-type building, there, and, and the sort of the third cinema is a sort of smallish room that would probably only hold 100 people at the most. And they said, oh, well, there'll be... 67 free tickets and I grabbed one of the free tickets and in the end there was probably only about 30 or 40 of us there it was a bit hot some people fell asleep uh, anyway <laughs> but after that uh, I discussed the episode with um, Paul and Chris from Faros Project and from with Martin from Bad Wolf and the main consensus amongst all of us and, and no doubt this opinion is all over the internet by now is that it was fear her done better <laughs> personally i'm not i'm not not one for hating fear her because it's not entirely rubbish uh, as me and darth have agreed over the over, over the past it, it it's not perfect but but it, there's some good ideas in it and there, there was a lot of similarities going on here i mean fear her is about someone 
putting things that they don't like into drawings. This, it's putting stuff into the cupboard. Uh, but I have to admit, this kid seemed a damn sight scarier than that little whispering child in fear. Uh, but um, it was it was the, uh, the the old fashioned Doctor Who idea, really, wasn't it? Um, you have the mundane, the, the sort of normality of of a, a block of flats and uh sort of strange things going on uh within it uh but uh, the, the, this uh george this kid did seem quite powerful didn't he I mean, his powers were not just within the flat there were people who were outside on 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 the estate of that poor little old lady getting sucked into the rubbish bags before she appeared in the um the doll's house yeah um and it, it the it was genuinely scary stuff in this like when uh at first you see and, and I didn't see this properly until I rewatched the episode this evening uh um Purcell the landlord <laughs> how that was so distracting him having the him having the name Purcell particularly after Adam J Purcell had that Twitter argument with uh, Tom Spilsbury of Doctor Who magazine about spoilers and that was so many months ago. You can't help but think that certain people have said certain things. And Mark Gatiss has said, oh, I can't think what to call the landlord. I've got some ideas. And <laughs> Why don't you call him Purcell? It, 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 it's probably entirely coincidental, but it just feels like this weird private joke amongst people who listen to Staggering Stories. <laughs> um, and, and unfortunately... Um, Adam and uh, his party had disappeared off to, um, I think they'd gone back to their hotel to watch the episode, so I've not yet got his opinion on having his surname in this. It'll be interesting to hear that uh, on Staggering Stories. But um, yes, there was a the particularly creepy moment where Purcell, and they did this twice, but they did it from different angles. They showed his face becoming this giant, the sort of wooden dolls, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, and you saw the sort of morphing effect from his face point of view, and before that, he oozed down into his own carpet to to disappear off into this doll's house. And and when when it happens to him, because he's not one of the likable characters, you, you're kind of thinking mm, maybe he deserved it. And then and then later on, it, it, it did kind of like catch me out because I didn't think this sort of thing was going to happen in the episode one of those wooden dolls comes up, grabs onto Amy, and suddenly Amy's transformed in the, into one of these wooden dolls, and it, it, it suddenly, how's Rory going to get out of this one? Because it's then down to Rory and the Doctor to, um, to solve it all. But um, no, that was very good. It's grown on me, because I've seen it about two and a bit, three times now, uh, through various rewatches, and um, it, it's... It strikes me as one of these episodes that's uh, a bit like The Lodger. Uh, when we've got our DVDs and, and uh, our iTunes downloads and things, and we're in a gap between seasons of Doctor Who and you want to watch one, this will be one that will watch particularly well on its own, because it is, as 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 The Lodger was, seriously different in tone and in style to the episode that preceded it, in the series actually just watching it on television but um i'm i'm going to drop off in the next few minutes not not just now but i'll 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 chuck in my rating now 
David. Right. I'll give it a strong. It's a strong four out of five from me. Oh right, good, good. Yeah, I, I do feel. I mean, I'll have my chat in a minute, but I mean, I do feel as though uh, some of the uh, reasons for the are why they've chosen the particular order of some of these episodes. I'm sure it must be down to funding or others. They've got to count of all the expensive ones in w- one group. And I'm sure last week's Let's Kill Hitler was an expensive one to do. But anyway, uh, I'll, I'll play a clip. I, I, I couldn't help thinking that this one was much better scheduled at this time of year as it's getting dark as you're watching Doctor Who, whereas back right. in the spring, the sunshine would have still been shining through uh, and and th- th- this this particularly worked well uh, in the dark. Okay. Well, it wasn't absolutely dark, but it was sort of as uh, as I say, hitting that way. Right. Yeah. Well, it was a little bit earlier than last week's, but anyway, uh, that was in the UK, of course. I'll play a clip, and I'm not going to touch anything while it's playing. George. Okay. What's the matter? Never mind. Were you having a nightmare, son? Wasn't a nightmare, Rob. Wasn't asleep. So are you? I'm the doctor. A doctor? Have you come to take me away? No, George. I just want to talk to you. What about? About the monster. Okay, uh, right, thanks, uh, Tim. And let's uh, go to Darth, please, and then we'll go to Willis Girl after that, if we may. Darth? Well, I think if the job of a television writer is to ensure that you don't change the channel, then Mark Gatiss has succeeded this week. If instead the job is to not only ensure that you don't change the channel, but to leave you thinking about a a premise that is worth your time, then Gatiss has spectacularly failed again. And I'm definitely not a fan of this episode. It had me in the beginning. It had me indeed all the way up to maybe the 35th minute. But the ending was crap. And I felt robbed. I felt cheated. And I literally cursed at the screen when the credits rolled. I think that this episode is overall one of the worst that we've had. I think it is more comparable to my well-known feelings on The Beast Below. Right. Uh, It doesn't deserve to be mentioned in the same breath as Fear Her, being far inferior. And instead, the ending had me feeling... Like I was watching um, any one of a number of previous things, not to mention just that Twilight Zone episode that's already been cited, but also Future Imperfect, an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation in which uh, Will Riker is fooled by a boy who's pretending to be his son but creates all these uh, Romulan menaces around and then the end is revealed to be an alien. Yeah, keep him there. Uh, yeah. Or the Corbomite Maneuver, one of the original Star Trek episodes in which uh, a very young Clint Howard plays a more or less toddler who is 
projecting this monstrous image in order to ensnare the crew of the Enterprise, and then they discover at the end of the episode that it's all being done by a little boy. Um, but more than that, I mean, it's essentially the Wizard of Oz, isn't it? It's the man behind the curtain. And, you know, it's never going to be done better than the Wizard of Oz. It never is. Why even try? Well, well, just while you pause there, my feeling about it is I think this would have been more successful as a Sarah Jane Adventures story. It seemed to me, Mm. you know, I could easily have seen, you know, um, Rani and uh, uh, Mickey running about knocking on doors trying to find the child and Sarah Jane being concerned that some child was having that. I could see this definitely as a Sarah Jane script and perhaps it would have placed better in that particular mold. But anyway, sorry, to, please continue as we welcome Brum, Brummy Time Lord. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, overall, this thing, it, it's just so deeply dissatisfying in terms of its its plot structure and ultimately its conclusion that, you know, I literally have not been able to make myself watch it again. I mean, I tried. I did actually try right before we started this, but I got to a certain point and I was like, why am I watching this? It really does not intrigue me. And the ending is so bad that it destroys some very good things that are otherwise going on in the episode. I mean, I think that you do have to give kudos to Owen McPolin uh, for his cinematography. The, the, the yellowish hue that's going on um, in the episode while the um, the boy is in distress. That's just, that's great. Um, and then, you know, at the very end, then the last shots that we get, suddenly that yellow haze is off. And so, you know, the cinematography is working to help convey the story. I think also you've got a brilliant score by Murray Gold, I think, because it's just the right amount of music and silence. I mean, it's it's quite extraordinary. You know, a lot of times we, we rip into Murray Gold for being too bombastic and, and wanting music wall to wall, but here it's very well judged when that music uh, takes place. And I think also the sound editing, you know, the, the entire soundscape of the thing, the, the, the exaggeration of the little boy's breath and the, um, you know, the sounds of the elevator, the sounds of the dog, the sounds of uh, you know, all those things that are in ordinary sounds within the world that this boy can hear, it exaggerates those fears and creates this lovely tone that really does suck you in for the first 35 minutes. Um, and I think that it, very rarely in Doctor Who have we seen a a show so completely balanced in terms of all of its departments working together so well to create a sense of fear and dread and there i was actually on the edge of my seat for some parts of this especially when you you know you get to the point where the doctor's like no i've got to be scared of what's in that closet Mm -hmm. i mean that was just remarkable to me the the way in which all the departments work together to make that moment absolutely work again the problem is what happens with the plot, just destroys all that good work. Um, and instead makes this more of an object lesson of how to make, you know, the texture right in an episode more than it is about how to make a good episode. Um, and, it, and it's really sad. But, I, you know, great thing, you know, Richard Clark, 
whatever. Let's give him his dues for trying to do his best with what he had. Because um, really, he did sell what is an inconsequential plot. Really, seriously. There's nothing of incident that actually happens that much in this episode. Um, good acting, though. You know, you really can't fault too much. I mean, maybe you can fault a little bit of the kid. But the kid is, he's so unusual as a kid um, that even if his acting is a little ropey, maybe at times, he is so unusual as an individual boy that it still sells most of what he has to do. Um, there are some, you know, to get to some very nitpicky things, um, so, some lovely lines. I mean, there, there's Gatiss does have a, a certain talent for, you know, knowing the tropes of Doctor Who and how to sort of play with those. You know, and so he's also very good at writing the, um, you know, pre-titles teaser. I mean, he's had really some of the best pre-title teasers in the BBC Wales history, and I think this one is another corker. Um, you know, the the idea that the Doctor is going to make a house call. I mean, it's a lovely little, you know, playing around with some some words there and and getting this straight in, and you know, using psychic paper in a slightly more Advanced way, kind of sorta, uh, than well, we've seen before. Silence in the, li- silence in the library. That, that's how uh, River Song summons them, wasn't it? Yes, I. But I think it's never been quite shown. Uh, and again, this might be Richard Clark giving us that that sort of direction. It's never been quite shown just how far this is traveling. You know, when when we see it in New Earth for the first time being used in this way. Um, it you know it's just tenant he pops out of the TARDIS and says I got a message on this but we don't see that he was summoned from you know a different galaxy almost um, so I mean that's it's interesting playing with that it's interesting um, you know we get a reference back to the Mark Gatiss uh, you know addition to the Eleventh Doctor the the Jamie Dodger line he's looking for Jamie Dodgers again just like you know Victory the Daleks so we're reinforcing that little you know, jelly baby catchphrase for the 11th Doctor. Um, some lovely things that are, you know, the, the the double act there of him and the guy from Outcast, whose name I've forgotten. Um, you know, they're doing the comedy moment of, you know, should Mays. we go in? There you go, Billy. Should we go into the closet? Should we not go into the closet? You know, and that's that's a lovely little bit of, you know, well, exactly. That's a lovely little bit of, uh, byplay that's going on there, um, and, and they work remarkably well together. I mean, you, you could almost argue that they look like they should be traveling companions in, in a lot of ways. I mean, they they do as actors work pretty well together. Um, so, you know, there, there's 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 things that are going on about this that don't quite make this go down to the level of the beast below where I felt like, you know, every five minutes something completely unrealistic happened and so it was impossible to ever even get into that story. Whereas this one, you know, it, it did engage me for pretty much the entire time that it was going on, but then the end was so crappy it just invalidated everything that was going on. Another tiny little error or not only about error, but it just it bugs me. You know, the fun little scene where the doctor talks about the various stories that he has heard as a kid mm. and he uh 
you know, says the the one about the whatever the Dalek emperors. That bugs me. The reason that bugs me is, of course, it invalidates the Daleks. I mean, this is a purely, you know, Doctor Who fan niggly point. But if indeed, you know, the Doctor is actually telling us the truth, if he's not just making up some some titles to stories, if he's actually saying, this is one of the stories that I heard when I was a kid, then it means that when William Hartnell was on Scarrow for ostensibly the first time, and met the Daleks, then when he was acting surprised and Susan was acting surprised, then they were just lying for the benefit of Ian and Barbara. Because they'd all been educated as kids that there was this Dalek emperor. And so, you know, again, that is that is a, a complaint that only a Doctor Who geek could make. But it immediately stood out to me, and I was like, what? No, 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 no. They have not always been enemies with the Daleks. That... The Doctor should be the first Time Lord to have ever made contact because that is the clear implication of the Daleks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that, even though that was fun, you know, Three Little Suntars, Keys to Doomsday, all that. Yeah. It was fun. You know, just a little bit of a niggle there. I think that was more, yeah, Mark Gates playing with it. Uh, but uh, yeah. I think there's an awful lot of Mark Gates in this. I mean, you can mm. imagine him being a little... I mean, if uh, I'm sure you did watch his uh, history of horror in three parts. Right. Uh, there was an awful lot of his childhood there that was projected onto this young boy. Um, and, uh, I mean, what better way to be able to write a Doctor Who and you're basically telling his own story of childhood because uh, I think that's basically what, and, what he was and, doing. And that's what's remarkable about the thing is that that part of the story, you know, the initial meeting with George and, you know, up to about, I don't know, the 15 minute mark or whatever, the depiction of the childhood fear of being in the dark in your room at night is wonderfully realized. I mean, really, truly, seriously, it's marvelous. You know, every department on the show is working together to create just the right level of ambiance. But, you know, the end just obviates all of that. Uh, And, you know, there are other sort of broader questions that you could ask yourself. Why is this kid who's male, and and this might be slightly sexist to say, but I'm still going to say it. Why does he have a dollhouse? And why is that dollhouse, you know, Victorian era dollhouse? I mean, it doesn't – what kid today – Male kid today in the 2000s would have a dollhouse. Well, it would have perhaps been his mother's. Remember, they couldn't have children. Well, she played with dolls. Um, I, yeah, maybe, but why would they be like, you know, dolls like that? It, I mean, the whole thing just seemed... Uh, a family heirloom. Uh, uh, family heirloom. Family heirloom, but, but, wait, wait, family heirloom that he didn't like, so why was it still in the house? Why put it in the closet? Why not just say, oh, okay, we've made a mistake here with this gift. Let's just get rid of it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And if it is a family heirloom and your kid rejects it, then do you, you know, keep it in your kid's room where it's obviously causing him distress, or do you at least remove it to your own room? I don't know. Uh, um, okay. Whatever. I mean, that's it. That. The, the whole conceit of the dollhouse and that particular kind of dollhouse, I don't. I mean, it just it just would have felt m- more p- 
period appropriate, that is to say modern day appropriate, and you know, I do think gender appropriate. Not to say that there's anything wrong for you know, boys to have dolls or anything like that, but it just would have seemed immediately more realistic to have this not be a dollhouse so much as, you know, there are tons of action figure sets that you could have had. You know, it could have been, a, I don't know, a G.I. Joe set or it could have been well, a... Royalties, they might have had to pay royalties if they did that. Well, you know, but you wouldn't necessarily, you could easily get around that by doing yeah. something close to it, but not, you know, the Tracy branded I- thing. Tracy's Island. That'd be good. Tracy Island. Something. You know, what? It, it just seems so. It just seems like the toy itself is out of time for the episode. Um, but it also so, gave. It also gave. Um, Rory is a chance to say, you know, they'd been flung into the past, so that they they didn't realise they'd been. Uh, and uh, Seventh Doctor was mm. brilliant uh, with the fact that they'd been shrunk again from last week, but that they were thinking that they'd been sent back to medieval times. It was timey wimey. Yeah, I mean, you're right, but again, that is a an obvious then contrivance for the plot, mm. as opposed to being something. Well, it was plot. They needed something. It was, oh, it was totally thin plot. But I will say this much: you know, uh, we've had Gatus now writing various doctors and various companions, but this is his first time at Rory, and I, I thought Rory was phenomenal in the episode. I mean, really, just lovely. I mean, and not nearly in the episode enough for my taste. I mean, there was something. I think Gatiss has exactly the sort of, I don't know, mark on what Roy's kind of humor and investigative style is. And I, I don't know. I just I just really liked his approach to Roy. Right. Uh, can I stop you there? We'll, we've certainly got time to come back around the room. We've, we've got a good hour to go yet. So sure. if, um, we'll, we'll certainly come back to you. And yes, um, I was pointing out it wasn't, uh, I should have said Clyde, uh, when I was talking about the Sarah Jane Adventures, not Mickey, uh, Clyde with Raleigh. Uh, anyway, I'll play another clip, then we'll go to Willie's girl. Maybe it was things on telly. Frightening him. Uh-huh. So stop letting him watch. Oh, you don't want to do that. And Claire thought it might be something he was reading. Great. Reading's great. You like stories, George? Yeah? Me too. When I was your age, about... Oh, uh, a thousand years ago, I loved a good bedtime story. The Three Little Sontarans, The Emperor Dalek's New Clothes... Snow White and Seven Keys to Doomsday, eh? All the classics. Rubbish. Must be broken, eh, those things? Better tidy it away, though, eh? How about in here? No. Not in the cupboard. Why not in there, George? It's a... thing. thing we got him doing ages back. Anything that frightens him, we put it in the cupboard. Creepy toys, scary pictures, that sort of thing. And is that where the monsters go? Yeah. There's nothing to be scared of, George. It's just a cupboard. Front door. That made us all jump, didn't it? Uh, yes, Darth, uh, just to, before we go to Willis Girl, yeah, um, um, uh, the, I think it was just a play on the word Emperor, wasn't it? Emperor Dalek's new clothes. That title. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, and we welcome Robert Carrie King into the room. Uh, we're just going to Willis Curl next, but um, after Willis Curl in the clip, we can go to you, Robert, so you don't have long to wait. Uh, thanks for coming on uh, Audio Willis Curl. You've got the floor. Oh, great. Um, since this was a Mark Gatiss script, my expectations for this particular episode uh, was extremely low. I don't believe he's done a decent episode of Who since The Unquiet Dead. I don't understand why he, he seems to be uh, keep getting asked each year to return because his work is his work isn't really earth shattering or especially brilliant. He's it's just okay, you know, not, not 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 really horrible, not really brilliant, but just okay. Um, I did like the episode. I, I felt it was an okay episode, not brilliant, not fantastic, or anything like that. It was like the, the, the uh, perfect type of episode I would introduce a small child to to you know watch Doctor Who, since this particular episode had nothing to do with the story arc. <laughs> yeah, babysitting a, a, a you know a young nephew or something watching this yeah. would be rather fun, I would think. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah. Um, I one thing I felt was kind of odd was that the. Uh, the uh, rent that the landlord said they owed was three fifty, three hundred fifty pounds. Is that the usual type of rent for um, a flat in London? Because that sounds very well, cheap. Well, it, it, I think it was supposed to be a rundown. It was probably only a week's rent, not a month's rent. So uh, I, I would think in in some sort of uh, no. He says not, month. He says month. Same. Yeah. Wow, really? $350 a month? That sounds extremely cheap. I like that's but is it, yeah. it established that it is London? Because, I mean, that is actually Bristol. So Yeah, that's true. It's not... That's true. It's not... It's not I, don't think uh, it, I don't think it said that it is London, necessarily. Yeah. I could be wrong about that. Maybe but somebody else in the room knows. Um, 350 a month, is that normal? Not, not where I live, it's not normal. <laughs> that's unusually cheap. Right. Well, that's... I mean, it's $600... No, uh, high five hundreds. Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some cities where you could get that in the U.S. Mm. The, 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 but you're right; it would be on you. If it is London, that is definitely oh, weird. Yeah. I would say, yeah. But if it's if, but if it's Bristol, that's not unbelievable. I don't think, or you know, Aberdeen, or you know, that could be anywhere has a flat that looks like that. I suppose I the, the the thing is as well, it's only on a low rent one. You're going to actually be handing over real cash. Anybody else is going to have uh, paid. Anyway, it, 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 if it, the thing is that with things like that, if they throw you out of the story, then it, it it's an annoyance, even if it's only a minor one. Mm-hmm. Overall, I just felt that this was an okay episode. Not good, not brilliant, not fabulous. It was just typical Mark Gatiss. And like I said before, the only decent episode he's ever written has been Unquiet Dead. Ever since that, his work has just been sort of middle of the road. This is one of his uh, middle of the road episodes. Right. I, know, I liked it. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any other standout features? I mean, uh, I think I saw, was it you that was, oh, you defended, uh, you not defended, you liked Daniel Mays. Did you From Ashes to Ashes? Oh yeah, he was great in Ashes to Ashes. Yes. And uh, I thought the young boy did a pretty good job, uh, especially uh, even his very first line. You know, have you come to take me away? And uh, uh, you know, when the doctor appears, um, I, I thought uh, 
it certainly did it more than an adequate. I mean, let's face it, it's only supposed to be playing an eight-year-old, and uh, I think it was it was pretty well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, any more comments? And do you want to give it a rating? As I just uh, welcome camouflage into the room. Um, I'll give it a three out of five. Okay. Right, well, if you think of something more, we'll have time to go around everybody once more time, and I'll play a clip before we go to Robert. Don't growl at the nice man, Bernard. You don't mean to upset Daddy, do you? I know what you're thinking. Here comes horrible Purcell after his rent. Dog on a chain. (laughs) Say, you weren't expecting that, was you? I'm not as daft as a look. In fact, I'm not daft at all. Let's open this cupboard, eh? There's nothing to be... Off the scale. Off the scale. All I want is my £350. Simple as that. Don't I? We got this thing open, yeah? No, 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 no. You don't want to do that. Why? Because George's monsters are real. <laughs> and is no, it's not another monster. It's a very nice Carrie King, Robert. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, um, I just wanted to stop in real quick to um, give my views on Night Terror. Mark Gatiss, I do like him, and I do agree with Willis Girl that the best, and I still believe, is the Unquiet Dead. Still one of my favorites from the um, Ninth Doctor era, but upon watching this, I was thinking, and people in the room have to forgive me for saying this, Paradise Towers. Maybe um, he was thinking of that when he was um, doing this story. But also, one thing that I do remember about him is that he does like horror movies, like myself, and the documentary that he did. Um, last October, I do believe, was um, excellent. So I did enjoy watching um, that documentary and brought up a lot of the old Universal monsters and and stuff like that. But also, I believe that um, he also, besides watching horror movies, he also watched The Twilight Zone because this is very reminiscent to a Twilight Zone episode from Season 5 called Stopover in a Quiet Town. Um, about two couple that wake up um, from a party and only to find out they're in an abandoned town. Turns out that the um, couple were in a dollhouse and that it was an alien dollhouse. So um, very much um, was thinking of that story um, when watching this episode. It was, as said, okay. Um, it Doctor Who reduced to a campfire story, pretty much. It's the kind of thing where you're sitting around a campfire and all the kids or the camp leader or whatever brings up a story. Well, you know, there was this time where such and such. So it did feel very much like a campfire story being told. Um, I think it's great that the doctor hears everybody, you know, just as God hears everybody so does the doctor and the uh, twist in the story of the um, kid himself being an alien 
um, was kind of nice, but still, all around, it was uh, it was an average story. I give it a 2.5 out of 5. A little bit lower than last week's um, episode. Okay. Okay, thanks, Robert. Um, what I'm going to do is play another clip, and then if Mike uh, can see if there's anything in chat that we might need to just read out. This is a very short one, Mike. It's only 25 seconds. Oh, at last. Oh, what is it? No doorknob. Wooden pans, a massive glass side, and now no doorknob. And this clock. What? The, the hands, they're painted on. <laughs> uh, just to give it, uh, because I felt as I was missing a lot of the creepy part thing. Uh, Mike, how's your audio? And is there anything to read out for us? Well, I see uh, Guest 5 at one point wrote in that got us right some great TV away from who? Uh, Crooked House, Sherlock, First Men of the Moon. And uh, he's also written some pretty good uh, Who uh, ex- ex- expanded universe books. Uh, besides that, uh, Seventh Doctor, who, well, you're on the audio, but um, Guest 10 has, uh, on the, the Will Scrolls comment about the rent uh, for different apartments, mentioned that in North Carolina you can get apartments for around that price. And um, earlier, uh, that's pretty much what's been going on in chat, not that, not, not that much else. Uh, thanks for that, and uh, jump in any time if uh, if I miss something because uh, yeah, obviously I'm missing uh, Ian's uh, support there. But uh, thank do. you for that. Okay, uh, well I'm going to play a clip. It's a slightly longer one, and then I'll I'll just have a few things to say myself, and, and then we we have the great uh, luxury of being able to go around the room one more time. So uh, here's a, another slightly longer clip. What is it with these photos? Anyway, it's good. Got away from the cupboard, haven't we? Of course we have. Come on, Alex. Alex, come on. How else will we ever find out what's going on here? Why, but you said... Monsters, yeah, well, that's what I do. Breakfast, dinner and tea. Fight the monsters. So this, this is just an average day at the office for me. Okay, yeah, you're right. Well, maybe we shouldn't open the cupboard. Hey? We have no idea what might be in there, how powerful, how evil that thing might be. We don't. Come on, Alex. Alex, come on. Are you crazy? We can't open the cupboard. God, no, no, we mustn't. How old is George, Alex? What? How old? Yes, how old is George? Well, I told you, just turned eight. So you remember when he was born, then? Of course. Of course you do. How could you not? You and Claire, Christmas Eve, 2002, right? What? Uh, yeah. A couple of weeks before George was born. Tell me about the day he arrived. Must have been wonderful. Well, it's the best day of my... Life. Sure. <laughs> yes. You don't sound sure. What are you trying to say? Look, I don't like this. I told you before, I, I-, I want you to go. What's the matter, Alex? I can't... It- Oh, this is scary. No, Alex, this is scary. Claire with baby George, newborn, yes? Yes? Less than a month after Christmas. So? So look, look, Claire's not pregnant. What? Not pregnant. Well, of course not. Claire can't have kids. How can I have forgotten that? Who are you, George? It's not possible. This isn't... George.
Blessed of the playground game for you. Please save me from the monsters. Please save me from the monsters. Uh, okay, well, a um, few thoughts from me then uh, before we go back to the seventh doctor uh, after another clip. Um, amazing to me that uh, when I checked, it was actually one of the shorter episodes, under, tw- uh, under 43 minutes, uh, and yet it seemed long to me. I, I thought the build-up, although I, I, I appreciate what Dad said, it was atmospheric, and so on, but it did feel a little bit stretched out. Um, it seemed to take a long time to actually get to that particular clip that we've just heard now, where it actually really gets to be uh, more scary. I think the uh, the episode itself uh, is probably, as Willisco said, it's probably a good one to have as a standalone one. It, it plays the same parts as perhaps the uh, Pirates of the Black Pearl or whatever it was uh, from before. Uh, two coma where we had the uh, the impossible astronaut and then we thought the story was going to continue and then all of a sudden we had this uh, the pirate story completely just opposed to that afterwards and we've done it again with this one we had uh, Let's Kill Hitler which was all about River Song and that story I didn't particularly like but I did like all the extra content that we found out about uh, uh, River Song here again I, I like the writing of it uh, but I thought the pacing was a little bit off. It did feel to me as though it was... Um, well, Robert, Robert's in the room here, and one of the shows that I go on with Robert, and Robert's one of the co-hosts of, is Talking Twilight Zone. And uh, one of the things that is often mentioned is that, is that uh, Talking Twilight Zone... Uh, sorry, Twilight Zone itself, the episodes used to last about 21 or 22 minutes. And some epi- some episodes, they were trying to cram a novelette into the story, you know, a 40-minute story, and it, it seemed crushed. Other times, it seemed to be a, a one-page synopsis that they were trying to stretch out to 20-odd minutes. And I did feel as though this one was a little bit light on plot. I did get this vibe of uh, Fear Me, I must admit. Um, I did think, though, that it was a very personal one for Mark, for Mark Gatiss. Uh, and uh, I think that's probably what... Um, uh, why why he's being included because he brings a different feel to uh, Doctor Who and I suppose he's more in tune as well uh, with uh, Stephen Moffat in terms of this fairy tale aspect that he always seems to be keen to bring to um, to the Doctor Who. Um, I thought Daniel Mays was excellent in it. I did like him in um, so he was rather creepy in uh, uh, Ashes to Ashes. I'm not going to give any spoilers for it. Uh, and I think uh, was it. Uh, Brummy Time Lord or something was saying about um, yeah, uh, pity about the outcasts because uh, the outcasts a little bit like we're having with Torchwood now, talks about episode 7 when most people have given up on it before it started getting good uh, some people might be criticising Torchwood for a similar thing um, what else, what other notes I've got um, yeah, as I mentioned before I, I thought that the, the, the chap with the dog was going to be uh, and that's why he said, I don't, I'm not as daft as I look. In fact, I'm not daft at all. Was trying to sort of think, oh, so he's behind it, is he? Um, and I was thinking, of course, Prisoner Zero on that. Uh, but basically, um, I talked with my brother-in-law, Gary, and my son, Matthew. Both of them thought it was a fairly throwaway episode. Quite enjoyed it, but um, basically thought it was one for the children and uh, I think that's a very difficult thing to play. Ch- children, dolls, musical ra- music, fairy tale rhymes, uh, children's toys in a shadowy bedroom can be frightening. Uh, and I'm going to be 
perhaps more interested to see uh, what the feedback is uh, later because um, I don't think this is going to be one I'm going to return to as much. The uh, Let's Kill Hitler one uh, really, really improved on second and third viewing to me. By the time we did our commentary on it, um, I was really enjoying all the background stuff that was coming through. So I think that's enough for me. I might make one more comment later, but uh, I'll play a clip and then we'll, uh, we've got a chance to go around the room. We've got that luxury. So Seventh Doctor will be coming to you uh, in a short moment. Uh, yeah, let me have a look. We've just played that one, haven't we? Yes, here we go. Where are we? Obvious, isn't it? No! Doll's house. We're inside the doll's house. What is George? And how could I forget that Claire can't have kids? How? Perception filter. Some kind of hugely powerful perception filter convince you and Claire. Everyone, major change in memory. Can't stay in here. Get out! Uh, how? Take control, Rory. Take control of the only thing we can. Letting them in. Letting them in? We open the door and we push past them, kick them, punch them, anything, okay? Time to play! George is a tenser, of course he is. He's a what? A cooker. A cooker in the nest. A tenser. He's a tenser. We thought he wasn't wanted, but someone was going to come and take him away. Well, we... we talked about it. Yeah, and he heard you, Alex. A tenser's sole function is to fit in, to be wanted, and you were rejecting him. We just couldn't cope. We needed help. Yes, but George didn't know that. He thought you were rejecting him. He still thinks it. How can we keep him? How can we? He's not... Not what? He's not... Human. No. Whatever you are, whatever you do, you're my son. And I will never, ever send you away. Okay, there we go. Uh, so, Seventh Doctor, uh, any any thoughts sprung to mind listening to the other comments, uh, the clips? Well, I just have two points. Uh, first, I thought it would have been interesting if the story had been uh, shown as the third uh, episode of the season, because then you would have had uh, Amy as a ganger as a doll. Uh, that would have been uh, kind of <laughs> interesting. Uh, the second point is um, I, I had mentioned uh, the first time that I was speaking that uh, I thought Rory was out of character here. Um, I thought he was uncaring towards the child. Uh, Darth mentioned that uh, he thought uh, Rory was really well written in this episode. So my question to Darth is, um, was Rory just kidding or is he really uncaring or did I just miss something there? And uh, I'll let Darth answer if he chooses. Huh? Um, you know, I just went away to get myself some water, and I only heard the last half of what you're talking about. I know you're talking about Roy yeah, and something about him kidding, but what, what scene are we talking about? Well, in the beginning, uh, when they were trying to find the boy, uh, going to the different uh, apartments that... Um, he said, let's let, let the like, monsters get like, Yeah, it seemed like Rory was very uncaring. That uh, it was uh, a mistake, a message on the sign that it was a mistake, an ad or something, or they should just let the monsters get the boy. 
That seemed very uncaring to me. Um, but you thought Rory was really well written in the story. Oh, uh, so did um, I miss something there, or is yeah, this really how Rory is, or is he kidding, or what's, what's the deal? I don't think that he's uncaring. Um, I think that instead, what you're seeing is him trying to do what the doctor wants him to do, but not knowing what the hell to do. I mean, think about it. The doctor is just saying, go find a kid. We don't know where the kid is, except to say he's somewhere in this building. Knock on some doors and try to find a kid. So he has to make up a cover story about who he is. And we've seen him try to make up cover stories before, and he acts much the same way. I mean, this is what, you know, um, Cold Blood, or its predecessor episode, um, Hungry Earth. You know, he, he is suddenly thrust into the role of being a police investigator, and he sort of has to, on the spot, make up some stuff. And we've seen him be this sort of awkward way before. I think he's being awkward. I don't think that he's being uncaring. However, now that we're talking about that, uh, I would, although I didn't read the scene that way, if you want to read it as uncaring, I think that would be entirely appropriate because this is a pretty hard right from the last episode. I mean, there's nothing here about River. There's not, you know, and all that has been dropped. I mean, if you if you look at the series as a, a continuous whole, um, they've gone from seeing some rather remarkable things happen to their daughter to, hey, Doctor, we're going to go look for a kid who isn't our kid and who we should be looking for. <laughs> and, you know, nobody mentions River at all. And I think that, that is... You know, it's a consequence of this episode having originally been in slot three. Now it's in slot nine. But nevertheless, this episode did require, I think, some continuity within the overall season because it does make it look like we've gone from really mind-blowing things having to do with their daughter to, ah, well, let's just go off on another adventure to help somebody else's kid who we don't know. So why do you think Rory didn't say anything? Was it because they because Mark Gatiss didn't write it? <laughs> yeah, but I yeah, mean, I, I think and, it was the embarrassment wasn't it at that door when he talks about the bloke and he just couldn't handle it. He said that you know what, it's easier if we just let, let the monsters have it. But I think it was just a, a flippant line. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I do like you know if you take this episode in isolation, take it away from the rest of the series. And look at the characterization of Roy. I mean, I think this is one of the more compelling characterizations of Roy. If, however, you place it within the, the season and try to work out why are Amy and Roy in this episode behaving so completely disconnected from the things that are going on with River, it doesn't make any sense at all. And that, and that simply is the fault of... of uh, Mark Gatiss, but I think it's also it's bigger the fault of um, Stephen Moffat, who I think by now we're beginning to see doesn't quite have the ability or the desire, one of the two, to um, overwrite another writer's working uh, work so that it fits better into the overall season. I mean, I think in the Russell T. Davies era, whether you liked it or didn't like it, you'd have to say that most of those episodes were fairly even and that Russell T. Davies was not afraid of trying to make sure by inserting appropriate dialogue that the episodes kind of flowed together, especially when you get to like season four. I mean, you see there are a lot of threads being woven into various episodes that 
ostensibly Davies didn't write. What you get with Moffat, I think, is a, a case where, you know, even though this story desperately required some kind of acknowledgement about the huge events that just happened last week, you don't get that. You just get complete, you know, here we are in a totally new adventure until the very, very end where you get this little insert shot that's kind of like the, you know, cracks that we got last season. Okay, well, let me stop you there because that's the final clip I've got to play. So I'll play that and then either of you two might want to comment before we go on to Mike. Here we go. Claire, I expect. Claire, how do you feel about Kim? Uh, I sent someone about George. It's all sorted. Yeah, we had a great time, didn't we? Yeah. See, he's fine. What, just like that? Yes. Trust me. Doctor, wait. Sorry, yes, fine. Wait, no, no, you, you can't just... Uh, I mean, it's you sorted. You sorted it. Good man, Alex. Proud of you. Well, that's it. Well, apart from making sure he eats his greens and getting him to a good school, yeah. Is he going to, I don't know, spray out another head or three eyes or something? One of the tens, I remember. He'll that perfectly now. Hey, be whatever you want him to be. Come on, you two. Things to do. People to see. Old civilizations to save. You feeling okay? Um, I think so. Now, did someone mention something about planets and history and stuff? Yeah. Where do you want to go? Um... Mine's gone blank. Well, I have just been turned into a wooden dolly. Excuses, excuses. Uh, it's tough, though. It's like being given three wishes. Mm. The whole universe. Or universes. Ooh, three wishes. That's bar bar. How about that? Uh, either of you two guys want to just mention anything at that last nursery rhyme bit or anything? Ralph? No, I'm good, uh, Dave. Okay. Uh, thank right. you for giving me the opportunity. Okay, Darth, do you want to add anything on that last bit? If not, I'll assume you've stepped away from your mic again and let's talk to... Uh, oh, Mike. Mike? Your last thoughts? We're losing audio here. We, uh, better just check that people are hearing me. Um, Willis girl, are you on, still on? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Do you want to have your final thoughts? We seem to be having audio issues with one or two people now. Um, um, no final thoughts. Just, just one thing I thought was kind of strange when they, when Rory and Amy were first down in in the dollhouse. I found it odd that they never bothered to uh, open the shutters because I noticed there was a lot of light streaming from the shutters, but they never bothered to open them. Right. One little odd no. thing I sort of noticed. And other than that, it was an okay episode. Perfect for a kid to watch. Yeah, always creepy, those little nursery rhyme things, do you not think, though? Yeah. Okay, yeah. At the beginning, that's just like in The Beast Below. I mean, come on. It it is this little thing that is tacked on to the end that actually makes no narrative sense whatsoever. Where the hell is it coming from? And um, it's just there to reinforce a 
ongoing story arc. I mean, it is a clumsy reminder of the story arc that happens to be done in the style of that episode. It's just like that very annoying Amy narrative at the very, very end of Beast Below, where she is reciting a poem that she couldn't possibly, as a character, have come across, memorized, or read, given what we see in The Beast Below. And yet there she is, quoting a you know, a cultural artifact from Starship UK. Right. Makes zero right. sense. Yeah, I mean, in, uh, again, you, when we often say this, I mean, it's good to watch the confidentials, but you shouldn't have had to have watched confidential to know why something was done. Uh, but I think, you're quite right, I mean, I don't think that was Mark, Mark Gatiss wrote that, but I think he was asked to by Moffat, uh, and, and it was it, it was fairly... Just, uh, I mean, I think even my editing's a little better than that. It, it was just tagged on. Uh, and there. I'm not sure. Did, I mean, I watched Confidential, but maybe I didn't watch it closely enough. I know that they sort of said something about, it, but I, I still don't get it. I mean, I, I still don't get the narrative sense of it. Um, I mean, who are the well, kids that are? Well, it's just the, that. the sense that the clock, the clock, the you know, time is ticking down. To uh, to this uh, date with death, really, isn't it? The yeah, what, the eleventh hours. The... Who are the kids singing? Who are they meant to be? Ah, I see what you mean. Yeah, I mean, where is this? I mean, I guess we could. Uh, They're not are within we... the TARDIS. I don't think are they, and are they in even within the narrative? I mean, are they are they ki- are they the dolls from the dollhouse? Is that what we're meant to believe that they are, or is this a case of, you know? Oh, you know, what's his name? Who's the countertenor on uh, Valley Deacham? You know, is this is this just simply choral music that happens to be there in the background? Or is it, you know, narrative choral music, if you know what I mean? Um, right. It's very confusing. And I, I think, it's, again, it's a very clumsy way to tie us into the, the, the story arc, uh, the season arc. No. Oh, I don't know. Okay, one thing I noticed as well in the the clip where the the mother comes in at the end, a little bit like the lodger, we have the doctor doing that silly air kiss, as though he doesn't really know how to sort of yeah. greet yeah. and meet people. Yeah. I don't know why he well, did that. And now that you brought up the lodger again, I mean, yes, there's that again. Why the hell does this doctor not understand basic human interaction in the 21st century? Who knows? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense at all. Um, but then you get the, the whole commonality to the lodger of, yet again, if you love somebody enough, you'll solve the problem of the episode. And, right. you know, I, I think that if Ian were here, I'm almost positive what he would say is, here we have Mark Adis, just like in Victory of the Daleks, having the central crisis of the episode resolved by love. The simple act of mysterious, life-bringing love. Mm. And it, I mean, there are worse things to tell our children, to be sure, in an hour of television. But it's fairly dangerous to tell them that, I think, yeah. to, say, to say love will dispel the monsters. Mm. Well, the um, Ironside character, I mean, uh, like these, the, the wooden dolls, I mean, mm-hmm. almost Pinocchio, we come back to humans. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. we are... Go on. No, I was just going to say, and I'm getting tired of it, you know, because I'm getting tired of... And this is a very Moffat thing. I'm not going to say that it, you know, hasn't existed before 
in Doctor Who, and you could you could make the argument that it sort of is kind of the resolution to fear her, um, you know, because as long as the mother and child love each other, everything will be okay. But that's not actually the central plot of Fear Her. Um, but certainly within the Moffat era, you've got you know several instances of this idea that whatever your problem is, as long as you love somebody, your problem is going to go away. It's there in The Lodger. It's there in Victory of the Daleks. It is absolutely the central solution to the Series 5 problem. I mean, it is all about as long as uh, Amy remembers what she loves, the Doctor will come back, the Universe will come back, everything will be fine, she'll get her parents back, she'll solve the entire series by just loving someone. And i got to tell you, that's not Doctor Who. I'm sorry, but it's just not. Yeah, well, I must admit the the fairy tale aspect is is being too too much to the fore a little bit for my mind. But I do feel as though you've got to appeal to. I mean, I'll always say Doctor Who uh, appeals, to, you know, from eight to eighty or whatever. There are definitely uh, episodes that appeal more to one age group than others. And and it may well be that this is going to be uh, a cracking success in terms of your younger viewers. And one of the criticisms that we made last week is that anybody who, who casually watched Doctor Who would have had no idea what was happening in Let's Kill Hitler. I mean, at least with this one, they would have been able to watch the beginning, watch the middle, watch the end, and whether satisfied or not, have been able to follow the the narrative of it. Okay, well, um, Mike's had to drop off audio. He's got some background sound. So I'm just going to read out some of the, the ratings. One or two of these you might have heard themselves say in uh, on audio anyway, but I'll read through them all just in case so I don't miss anybody. Seventh Doctor, three out of five. Uh, Guest five, two out of five. Cybob, four out of five. Um, let me see if there's any further back. Um, I don't think I've... Most of the other people gave them on audio. I think my rating is going to be, well, probably two and a half at the moment, but no doubt by the time I've done the commentary, it might be up to three. Right, I'm just going to uh, end the show fairly soon, um, but what I'm going to do is just give uh, a brief shout-out because this recording does go up pretty quickly on the Torture site, usually, uh, just to say that um, if you... Uh, wish to take part the dot two podshot live will be starting in just over 20 minutes on torture itself like this show the show id is two double three five eight and that of course is talking about two episodes because lewis was taken off the air by power downage uh, outages with the uh, the hurricane in new york hurricane irene i think it was so he's doing a double banking on Let's Kill Hitler and Night Terrors. And as I say, that's in just over 20 minutes. Torture ID 2358. And then uh, I doubt if that will go the full three hours because he wants a break before at 7pm Eastern Daylight Time on Torture ID 110825. He will be Continuing with the Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi, again, double-banked, talking about um, immortal sins and end of the road. So that's uh, 
two more podcasts for you to get. I want to thank everybody who's been in the room. Um, and I think uh, when I say cheerio to you, if you've got a final comment, we certainly have a few more minutes and uh, we don't have to rush quite so abruptly. But I think we've gone round the room unless anybody wants to open up a new uh, thread for two or three minutes. Well, with that, let me say uh, to the Seventh Doctor, thank you for your contribution. Uh, thank you, Dave, for, for having me on. And uh, I just wanted to add something to yes, start with saying of, of all the love resolutions that he went through, I thought this one made the most sense to me as far as the storyline goes. Because it's dealing with a young child rather than, yeah. Well, not only that, uh, you had to her that also did that, but this one made the most sense to me. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, I should just say, oh, and this looks like Mike's coming back on audio. I should just also say that uh, the Cult and Collective themselves, we will be obviously doing about uh, episode 10 next week, same time, 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, and that is the episode called The Girl Who Waited. Uh, Mike, how's your audio, and have you any more to add before? We've got a few minutes if you want to come back on a couple of points. Well, uh, yes, I'm back on audio now. It's quite quiet over here, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it was it was an okay episode. It was a it was a good standalone episode, and I, I like that. But um, you know, just the thing, I, I already see the repeat of what went on in the first half of, the, of this series. With at the end of every episode, they I have to reference back to the story arc going on in some way, and this time it seems like it's the, the Tesselecta file data on the Doctor's death on the on the the TARDIS scanner, which uh, I guess they're going to keep doing that. It's it it's just also just like last series, series five, with the cracks appearing everywhere. <laughs> so uh, yeah, make just hey, guess what? There's a story arc going on. Let's remind you at the end of every episode in some. Uh, shoehorned in way, but uh, I'm looking forward to next week's episode. It's uh, it looks like it's going to be very centric on uh, Amy and Rory, though. But uh, either way, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, thanks for having me on the on the air here. <laughs> Lovely. Also, Cheers. Mm, Mom? Uh, just saying that I'm also looking forward to the doing the commentary on this one. Good, good. I don't know uh, what's happening tonight. I don't know whether Ian's going to make it tonight. But uh, if you could check your twitters later, we'll find out. Okay. Uh, and um, that, that uh, is, oh, there's only Darth still. Oh, Willis girl, I didn't. Uh, do you want to say cheerio? Um. Oh, okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, if you've got any last comments. Uh, oh, oh no, no other last comments. Just that it's been an honor and a privilege to be on this show tonight. Good. I always enjoy having you, and uh, glad you made it on audio. Thanks. And Darth. Uh, Anything, any final comments? Uh, are we wrap up? Um, actually, I never gave a rating, so I'll do that on my way out Ooh. the door. Um, and also, I'm not sure if we did we mention Brummy Time Lord's rating of one out of five in the. Uh, I, I think I think I read that first, but did I will repeat it. Uh, one well, out of go. five. The only reason I'm mentioning it is because that's what I would go with as well. Um, at, at least in terms of overall stuff, in terms of you know, different departments. You know, sound department, I'm going to give it a five out of five. Um, and that would include the music department as well. Um, 
certainly props department i would give a, a and and set props and set decoration i would absolutely give a 5 out of 5 too um but sadly you know not too much for the writer himself and i think with this uh i really hope that we have come to the end of the road with marketus we probably haven't because of the you know professional and personal relationship between him and Moffat, but honestly, would I want Moffat in season three or four where there wasn't a Moffat story? No, I can't think of anything there that I would say, okay, this is an episode that I would prefer to have seen what Moffat might have done with it. Um, I just, like Willis Girl, don't get why this guy keeps getting a crack of the bat, except to say... He's got good personal relationship, and it's about who you know, not what you know. Right. Okay. And it looks like no other ratings are coming in the room, so I'll just read out uh, those people who have been on on through the show. Uh, Bromley Time Lord, guest 10, guest 5, Cybob, uh, Merlin, uh, Tim, uh, Logan, Jedi Justice, guest 9, guest 12, Robert Curry King, Camouflage, is that? Uh, guest 8, guest... 11, guess 7, I voted Saxon. Uh, I think that uh, wraps it up. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Look out for a commentary, hopefully, towards the middle or end of the week. And next week, episode 116, we will be Dot Who, the girl who waited. And with that, this is Dave AC, missing my co-host, Ian Six Doctor. We posted a link to his uh, twit pic picture, and I might just do that in a moment, but... Uh, Here's the outro. Catch you next week. Bye, all. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.